Last year was a wonderful year for pet health care, and I'd like to personally thank you for tuning into our discussions. We covered a number of great topics pertaining to pet health, like the best pet supplements and tips to improve your pet's quality of life. We also featured interviews with top experts who shared their knowledge on topics like species-appropriate nutrition and integrative veterinary medicine. Today, I'd like to share the top five most popular podcasts of 2019 that our readers and listeners found most impactful. Please don't forget to subscribe to my free daily newsletter if you haven't done so already at healthypets.mercola.com for more pet health tips and news and to keep your favorite furry pals as happy and healthy as they can possibly be. Here are the top five podcasts of 2019. Number five on the countdown, I welcome back Dr. Melissa Shelton to discuss her work with essential oils. It, well, and so that's, and that's the best part and smells lovely. I mean, on top of everything, it, it's not gross yeah. to participate in, you know, there are some forms right. of therapy like Chinese medicine, beautiful, but a little overwhelming when you put it in your mouth, a little overwhelming. Sometimes. Right. <laughs> um, and so talk to me a little bit about um, how you administer essential oils topically, of course, and then uh, with certain species I'm misting, like you said, birds or amphibians misting, do you ever give them orally or that's, is that a no-no? I do. Um, so again, it's all about the dose and why we're using them. I think, um, I think in the, the aromatherapy world right now, they are a little bit overused orally. Um, we do definitely reserve it for specific cases. I find that when I'm trying to uh, relieve arthritic pain, um, we have a 28-year-old pony, and so right now um, she gets a lot of oral essential oils because I don't have to give her prescription anti-inflammatories or other things, um, and I would so much rather see her on oral essential oil any day of the week than on Butte, um, and so... Uh, and so right now, since it's winter and you, you have your snowstorm, we just had our snowstorm yesterday. Um, it, it spurs my creativity in how we're going to administer things uh, to the animals too. And, and because I live with so many different varieties of species, I often can figure out, you know, like people who don't live with birds don't understand how you would administer to a bird, right? Um, when you live with them and they own you, you know, oh, you know what? My Amazon really loved blueberry muffins, and if I get a little bit of something in there, I can do almost anything with a blueberry muffin and my my Amazon. But with my pony, um, we have we have an anti-inflammatory um, product that we use that has peppermint in it, so it can be kind of cooling. Yeah. And it's winter, and she's you know she's old old cold pony and so uh, it spurred my my mission to now create like a warming type of an anti-inflammatory blend for her specifically so she's using it this whole winter and then it'll probably be just depending on the species i think each each species has its own creative way of using it diffusion can be almost used for any species but it's a little harder for horses obviously because they're not often in a in a contained environment but we've had people be incredibly creative with a heaves horse and they will put like a tarp or a shower curtain on a stall and then put the diffuser in there and basically box in their horse for 20 minutes a couple times a day. Very so cool. almost anything can have diffusion, but we do topical, we do oral. Um, it really, and, and we try to still use the lowest effective dose. Um, it, the, the lowest we can get, the least, you know, we use it as often as needed um, in the dosing range, but the lowest effective dosing. 
you know, it's, I just have um, an interesting story to relate to you that you probably have also experienced. I have not experienced this yet, but I had a, a great Cornell with a foot injury, Bumblefoot, a big open wound on the bottom of his foot. And of course he's crabby. And um, he, when owls, for those of you that don't know, when owls feel like they're um, threatened, they use their feet as a main defense mechanism. He had a big old sore on the, on the middle of his, of his uh, pad. So I medicated his perch and I put a ton of essential, I like dripped essential oils on, on uh, the far end of his perch. I like yeah. saturated it. And then in the middle of his perch, I just put a few drops. And then on the end of the perch, I left it natural. So he could choose. It was so cool. He went to the, to the part of the perch that was saturated and he just couldn't beat his, he wanted both of his feet on the wet part because I think it felt good to him. It's amazing. And, and we've done that with like putting, uh, putting them on our own hands and letting the bird perch yeah. on the yeah. hand then. And, yeah. and it's just like that. They, they pick, uh, you know, to be more exposed to it. We see cats go up to the diffuser and just inhale that mist. And um, so it's, it's just, it is amazing. When we offer them that opportunity, um, they, they will select what's right for them and, and they don't get that opportunity in captivity. Uh, we, we just take that away from them. So to me, the essential oils are bringing nature back into uh, the animals' lives and our lives too, because you know, we sit inside and we're not, we're not getting enough vitamin D, we're not getting to smell plants. And so even having a diffuser running like that is just an amazing way to bring nature back into our health uh, pyramid. You know, it's wonderful. And so, Melissa, what you, you created a lot of different formulas, but let's just go over. Let's just like cover, like, I'm just going to throw things out and you say, yes, yes, this is something <laughs> that you could work with. Okay. Like kitties with chronic cystitis. Totally. Yeah, oh my gosh. So good. Okay. And is there a formula, um, so, like, 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 would you have something, like, on your website, would people be able to go and find something yeah. for that? Yeah. So, for, with cats, it's fairly easy. I kind of call it, like, a little triad. So, I often will do, I like a layering approach, because cats can be kind of finicky. And so, with cats, they're kind of their own, their own person. And so, I use a little bit topically. I diffuse for them, for sure. But we'll also put stuff in their litter box. So we actually have a blend called Euro Boost. So for the urologic system, that would be um, a good one to start with. Kitty Boost is kind of just general all cat version thing. Um, and so we can do those topically. And then we can also do, uh, we have a, 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 what we call Litteroma. And we add that to some baking soda that we sprinkle into some unscented litter. And then as the cats are using their litter box, they're exposed to anti-inflammatory properties. Um, and, and there's a lot of research actually with some uh, cystitis issues um, to decrease that inflammation. So it's, it's really fun. And, and so, yeah, I, you, because I am a veterinarian and because I understand every challenge you could ever throw at me, definitely that's why our line is so huge. There's something for absolutely everything. Um, and, and a lot of them will end up covering the entire animal as well. I don't just say, oh, we're only going to focus on that bladder and the cystitis. We will also support their emotional system, their, their immune system, and every other aspect of their health too. And so just along that same line, like uh, dogs with endocrine problems, like a thyroid. I mean, is there, how do oils, can oils affect your endocrine system? Yeah. Yeah. And they bring them into balance. So it's a, we have like a product called Thyro Balance. 
And so I try to name them also, so it would be very obvious what they kind of can help with. But if you don't have thyroid problems, it's not a problem to support your thyroid still. It's great for it, right? It's like saying, oh, I'm, I'm going to eat really crappy because I'm healthy. <laughs> no, we still want to eat healthily so that we maintain that health. So thyroid supporting um, essential oils balance. Uh, they don't bring it out of whack. It's not like being on a drug where we, we just went too far now and now you're hyperthyroid. Um, the essential oils will always act almost like food where we're just, we're bringing you into balance constantly. So we can support normal um, thyroid function, but if your dog is low, your cat is high, we will still use the same blend to kind of try to help bring it into balance. And that's why that one's called Thyro Balance because we do see highs and lows in animals where, um, and like adrenal balance, it's, it's balancing your adrenal glands. So there's a lot of essential oils that do help balance that endocrine system or support the rest of the mechanisms uh, in your body that are important to support that. And there again, then it would, I think it's important to mention that the great thing about both of the adrenal and the thyroid blend is that if you have a kitty or another dog in the house that doesn't have those endocrine issues, it's still great. So, so you know, some people say, oh my it's gosh, wonderful. Sequester. Do I need to sequester my hypothyroid dog because my other dogs don't have yeah. it? And like, no, you're just preventing it in the other two. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We, we do get that question a lot because uh, we have a blend uh, for diffusion for neurologic issues. And so they'll say, well, my one dog has seizures, so I want to diffuse for them, but the other dogs are fine. Is it going to be a problem? I'm like, no, it's great. Like you're just supporting brain health and, and we're not, it's not like saying, oh, I can't eat blueberries because I don't have cancer. You know, <laughs> no, you're fine. Still eat some blueberries. They're really good for you. <laughs> That's awesome. So Melissa, if people wanted to learn more about your essential oils, where do we send them? Where do they go? www.animalio, uh, so animal, and then EO at the end, but dot info. So you want info, you're going to dot info. <laughs> awesome. And if you could tell the world one thing about essential oils, if you could give a one thing about essential oils, what would you want the whole world to know? They're awesome. Yeah. They really just are awesome. I, every single day, I just, I so enjoy working with them. Um, I come to work. It makes me happy just even to fill bottles and fill bottles and fill bottles. Um, we always say it's our happy space. And so even for the, the, the work involved in creating a product line, they're, they're just awesome. I, I always think of the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. And that's, yeah, essential oils are awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, and you are awesome too. And sh you sharing your wisdom so passionately, not just with other veterinarians, but um, really ultimately millions of pet parents around the world, helping to dispel those myths, but I think also helping to, um, to, artfully go hand in hand with pet parents that are nervous or reserved about essential oils. You've done a really good job of helping to not just dispel myths, but to help people who have been maybe damaged from the plethora of misinformation online or that have maybe had a negative experience from not being guided in the right direction. You've done a really good job of trying to help people over their fears of using essential oils. Wonderful. That's, that's the goal now is to, Make sure everybody's safe. They can still get the benefits from it, but we got to make sure it's done correctly. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate you committing basically your entire career to, to making that happen. So thank you for joining me again. 
I look forward to talking with you um, in the future as you produce uh, more products and you have more research and you're doing fun things. We'll catch up again in a few years, but um, I'm so excited that your animal-specific essential oil line is flourishing and helping so many different types of animals worldwide. Um, not only recover from physical issues, but really help recover and keep them mentally and emotionally balanced too. So thanks for everything you're doing. Thank you. And thanks for bringing, bringing the attention to the world. Counting down to number four, I speak with Dr. Richard Patton on animal nutrition and how it can be used to improve the overall benefit and well-being of your pets. What are some of the most important things in terms of your takeaways as an animal nutritionist? You've talked about the soluble carbohydrate issue being a big one. Um, talk to me a little bit about uh, some of the other, you know, if you are going to pass the torch to a mm. mentoring animal nutritionist, what are some of the other glaring issues in your opinion that we need to be thinking about that that we aren't the soluble carbohydrate issue has just come about for all of us front and center in the last 10 years when we're like hmm we're calculating the carbs and they're with especially with these grain-free diets they're actually becoming higher we have higher levels of carbs and grain-free so we're all kind of having this discussion about hmm this is a lot of soluble carbohydrate are there other things that you believe we should be thinking about looking at discussing that we aren't, Richard? You know, I don't. Uh, I think that the excess soluble carbohydrate is so big a problem. Uh, all the others, uh, they can wait. Uh, I'll, I'll attack them when we get this, this 900 pound gorilla out of the room. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to worry about the level of zinc, I think it, it is like arranging the, the deck furniture on the Titanic. There, there's this much larger concern that, that I, I'm completely preoccupied with. Now, more to the point of your question, what, what or a, to use your own words, which I so love, what do I want the world to know? <laughs> yep. Oh, and I think maybe it's encapsulated in uh, th this, uh, this observation that I, I'm always so aware of, you know, despite formal training uh, as an animal nutritionist, just about everything I know of any real value was taught to me by animals and the owners of animals. And I would advise the pet owner to be sure and listen to their pet. Uh, when when they, they have, a, a, you know, a bowel movement and you're looking at their feces, you want it to be a cigar that you, you can kick across a shag rug. Yep. And, um, if they're squirting puddles, this isn't necessarily bad, but it's a red flag. Uh -oh. and, and so oh, you want to you let the, be sure and listen to what your pet is telling you. And if, if they're eating uh, feces, I will ask, is it the worst feces or is it their own? There's a big difference. Most creatures will eat feces of other species, but um, if they're eating their own, this is a different message. And are they eating grass? Well, is it just so that they can vomit up for a moment? Okay, that's one thing. But are, are they eating grass on a more consistent basis? So be sure and uh, see what the pet is doing 
and hear what they're doing and listen. Yeah, good advice. Okay, back up and tell me, over the last 40 years, have you switched how you feed your own dogs? Or would you say you're basically feeding about the same style you were feeding 40 years ago? With your own pet? Questionably. I, uh, you know, when I was uh, earlier on in my career, I drank the Kool-Aid. Um, and, but it, it's, it's uh, and I think we all do this with the best of intentions. And uh, the thing that has to happen is you must be open-minded and humble that you may not have all the information you need. You may not be making the best decision and to stay open-minded and recognize that the truth can come from anywhere, uh, including uh, God help us a veterinarian. Yeah, so, it's true. So, so and you, you want to be uh, willing to connect the dots. Um, for example, uh, you know, a, a big perspective is if, back again on my rant about soluble carbohydrate and the fact that there's none in nature, well, thinking people should be asking themselves, well, if, you know, uh, enlarged hearts were not a problem in dogs until just recently, and we've been doing something in the past uh, 50 years, uh, diet-wise, that, that is out of step with uh, the evolved biochemical machinery. And, and I keep coming back to the same answer. All this starch and sugar is not doing anybody any good. Yep, you're spot on. You're spot on. So Richard, I have to ask, at what point did you decide to start feeding a fresh meat diet to your dogs? Was that early on? Or did you? would you say that as your evolution as a nutritionist, you... Uh, started feeding kibble and then you started adding in fresh meat recently because you're one of the few nutritionists that advocate uh, biologically appropriate foods. You, you, you're one of the very few that recognize that uh, dogs and cats do best eating a very low carb meat based diet. I believe that uh, probably uh, you know, God and St. Peter were most exasperated with me from the very beginning that I wouldn't seem to learn my lessons because one of the very first things I did was I was part of a group that made a diet for uh, tigers in captivity, and it was wildly successful. World record, six cubs born in captivity. As a matter of fact, that same pair of parents went on to set another world record on that diet, 36 cubs born in captivity. And also feeding an all-natural diet, uh, that same team uh, at the very beginning of my career uh, was responsible for the first golden eagle chick born and raised in captivity. It was an all-natural diet. So from the beginning, the seeds were planted in my thinking. Yeah. But then I went on to work for Big Kibble and in the, you know, the dietary management of disease uh, from the veterinary perspective. And all along, I'm uh, accumulating this insight. So, yeah, you get to the point where um, there was a day when I would have said uh, natural's not good. And if you'd have told me the day would come, uh, would be here one day when I would say it's a better way to go, I'd have called you a liar back then. Sure. But <clears throat> one of the things 
that, that I think is indispensable here is that our, we must stay open-minded and, and, and be willing to learn uh, new insights as they, as they present and, and not, not uh, let all the street chatter dogma keep us from seeing the real trends. And I, uh, not just myself, Richard, but I think that the entire fresh feeding community, one of the reasons that you are so well-loved and uh, really we're so thankful for everything you're doing is that you are one of the few nutritionists that have been able to evolve in your professional path to recognize these truths. And we appreciate you for doing that because it's the voice of common sense, but it also um, is the voice of reason when it comes to what makes sense for why we would pick a less processed diet for our pets. Sadly, there's just not a lot of nutrition out there supporting our desire to feed um, less processed foods. You're, you're one of the few, but it came about because of your desire to see a bigger picture and your knowledge base evolved through your career as your education did. So I, I really appreciate all that you're doing for all of us looking to have a bigger, broader conversation than what most nutritionists are willing to have. So we appreciate your, your open-mindedness throughout your entire career. Well, Karen, you're kind to say these things. Thank you. Um, but, but the approach, uh, I'm not abandoned science at any point. Uh, I think that the, the, uh, the really confident investigator uh, will not dismiss uh, as a, a counterpoint to, to his. What he'll say is, show me your data. And when I look back at the data that, that I've accumulated over 40 years, I am going to take my position uh, today. And I'm not going to say to somebody, you're wrong, I'm right. I'm going to say to them, show me your data, because I think mine's better. I think that soluble carbs are causing us problems, uh, along with other things, and I want that fixed. Yeah. Do you, do you see, Richard, because you formulated a lot of kibble in your life, do you see that this is a viable possibility with the cost of meat meals being what they are? Do you think that consumer demand, that consumer knowledge, that consumer push is enough, to, which is going to drive the cost of pet food way, way up? If they're going to use less soluble carbs and more meat, more meat meals, that's going to change the price of pet food. Do you think companies... We'll move in that direction, really? The fastest growing segment in the pet food community is freeze-dried raw. <clears throat> and uh, I, I like what this is saying, but it's still uh, a tiny sliver uh, of an absolutely behemoth industry. And um, we're, uh, we're just gonna have to keep uh, you know, uh, playing our tune and making converts as best we can when we can. Um, yeah. I think as as the pets move more from a, you know being chained to a to a hovel in the backyard to being a member of the family, uh, people are going to tend to forsake their economy first approach, uh, nourishing their their family members, and the 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 the, uh, the willingness to feed proper nutrition is going to uh, gain traction and sticker shock will be less of an issue. Yeah, and I agree with you. I, I do think that over time price will come down uh, as as more and more companies per, enter the marketplace, it will drive costs down. I'm right there with you. 
Well, as always, Richard, it's a pleasure to get your insights and your thoughts. I appreciate all that you uh, have done and all that you continue to do for the fresh food industry. Uh, I like your veteran insights on some of these topics. Um, and most importantly, I appreciate you being so willing to talk to all of us about your thoughts and ideas. Of course, glad to help. Thank you. There are several underlying reasons why your dog may smell, and it's really important to identify what's causing the issue. Number three on our countdown, I discuss reasons why your dog may stink. Today, we're going to discuss some of the more common reasons why dogs stink. Some people think that their pet should smell like a freshly showered baby or vanilla. And of course, they're not supposed to smell like that, but they're also not supposed to stink either. Your dog should have his very unique own canine odor. You should be able to bury your nose in your dog's fur and of course, identify your dog as his own individual dogginess, but not an offensive odor or a wildly stinky odor. If you find out that you bury your nose in your dog's fur and you come to hate that smell, something's wrong. A dog who is healthy, properly fed, and regularly brushed and bathed as necessary for your dog should smell unique, but not offensive. So if you can identify a stink in your dog, there's probably a reason why, and you want to identify it so you can treat it. Reason number one why dogs stink is yeast infections. Yeast overgrowth is a very common cause of smelly dogs. Yeast has a very distinct, musty, pungent odor that is often compared to moldy bread or cheese popcorn. In fact, some people actually refer to the yeast infection on their dog's feet as Frito feet because they kind of smell like Frito corn chips. Stinky paws or a musty smelling dog, sometimes coming from the ears, are usually a sign of yeast overgrowth. So is scratching itchy ears or a red itchy butt as well. All of these issues can be a result of yeast. Reason number two are anal gland problems. Now inflamed, infected, or impacted anal glands will also cause your dog to have an unpleasant odor. Your pet's anal glands sit just inside the rectum. One anal gland sits at about four o'clock and the other one sits at about eight o'clock. And these two glands secrete a very smelly, oily substance thought to be a territorial marker that's excreted when dogs defecate or go poop. If there's a buildup of this substance in the anal glands, especially if your dog spends any amount of time licking or digging around by his butt, or if your dog is scooting or pushing his butt on the floor, you'll oftentimes notice this unbelievable, astounding odor that can be secreted from the anal glands that many people actually compare to rotting fish. It's really bad. Reason number three is gas or farting or flatulence. And of course, if you've ever been in a car, trapped in a car with the windows up with a gassy dog, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some gas is normal. All mammals secrete some gas, but gas from healthy pets is not terribly stinky. It's just ingested air that's coming out the other end. So if your dog has gas that is enough to clear the room, something is wrong. There are several reasons dogs create excessive amounts of gas, including poor diets, or a food allergy, lack of digestive enzymes, a bad microbiome, or intestinal parasite. If your dog's smelly gas is more or less consistent, it's time to make an appointment with your functional medicine veterinarian, especially if you have other GI symptoms like abdominal distension, intermittent loose stools, itching, or occasional vomiting are present, you would definitely want to make an appointment with your vet. Reason number four is a stinky face, including ears and eyes. If your dog has an unpleasant odor, and but you can't really seem to locate exactly the source of it, you've smelled feet, you know, you've checked them out, definitely check the face. As I mentioned earlier, a yeast overgrowth can, can cause kind of this generalized funk, stink around your dog, and ear infections, either with yeast, which is a fungus, or bacteria, can create a musty odor directly in the ear. An ear infection with ear discharge might be the source of the smell that you are identifying. 
Ear infections are one of the most common reasons dogs visit the vet. And ear mites can actually also secrete a waxy debris that has a very funky, weird, unique odor. So when you lift up your dog's ear flap, you should be able to see nothing down the ear canal. They shouldn't be red. There shouldn't be any discharge. If your dog's ears are perfect, but you can definitely tell that something in that area is stinky, check out the areas around the eyes. So facial folds, including the moist areas under your pet's eyes, can also hold yeast or other types of bacteria that can create a smell. Veterinarians call this a moist pyoderma or a localized skin infection, oftentimes occurring either in the lip folds or under the eyes. And if you notice this, you can confirm this with a swab test that I call the stink test, where you take Kleenex, you swab that area and you can kind of identify it with the smell that there's something definitely present. If you can't identify the exact location of the smell, but you can kind of identify it generally to the head, then move along to my fifth reason for stink, which is the mouth. Your dog's breath will obviously never smell like humans after we've brushed and flossed. It also shouldn't be overwhelmingly stinky. If your pet's mouth is really gross. I mean, you're just overwhelmed from the smell, then something is definitely wrong. There shouldn't be much mouth odor unless your pet is just eaten, in which case you might smell the remains of his last meal on his breath. But chronic bad breath in pets has the same causes as halitosis in humans, which is most often poor oral hygiene. But also sometimes there could be other issues going on like a rotten tooth or actually a GI issue. So as animals breathe out, you're smelling malabsorption, maldigestion, or a microbiome problem that could also be reflective as bad breath, which leads me to the next point on my list, which is an unhealthy gut from a poor diet. What you feed your dog affects her body both inside and out. And so a dog fed a biologically appropriate diet, one that contains ingredients that she is able to absorb and use healthfully won't create any obnoxious gases. If you have a dog that is consuming foods that are not biologically available, you could end up having a generalized funk occur. And this can be a result of a poor skin condition or a coat problem that really is rooted in a bad diet. Many of these pets are omega-3 fatty acid deficient, and really that's just the tip of the iceberg. A lifetime of highly processed inappropriate foods can lead to many illnesses, which create certain odors in pets, including a change in systemic pH or acid-base balance. There also can be impaired detoxification mechanisms, which can lead to organ dysfunction, as well as things like diabetes and cancer, which actually can change a pet's overall smell. Interestingly, other pets in the house oftentimes recognize that there's a change in this animal's, uh, the sick animal's smell. So pay attention to how the other pets in your home are checking out your stinky pet, because they're oftentimes good indicators that there could be a potential problem weeks to months before pets actually exist of its symptoms that they don't feel good. The last reason that dogs are stinky is just the reality of living with an animal. Some dogs deliberately make themselves stinky. Some dogs will roll in another animal's poop if they get the opportunity. Some dogs will eat other animals' poo that creates overwhelmingly stinky breath. Or some dogs will actually roll in dead things. They'll just find things out and about that they want to uh, mark them, their bodies with. They can also pick up dead decomposing animals and either eat them or carry them around in their mouth or present them to you. So there's all sorts of reasons why dogs can be stinky from their environment. So there you have it, the top reasons that make dogs stinky. Each one of these issues requires an in-depth look at the underlying reasons why they're occurring. If I covered all the whys in this video, it would be like a six hour video. So my goal in making this video was to give you insights as to why your dog may be stinky. If you have a stinky dog and you've identified which one of these issues is occurring that's making your dog stink, I encourage you to take a deep dive in researching the underlying reason why your dogs have these symptoms.
symptoms. The cool thing about symptoms is it's like a low oil light in your car. They're a warning beacon that something isn't right. And they give you, the pet parent, a, usually a good chunk of time to figure out what the problem is and to fix it. So I urge you not to ignore your dog's stink as there's probably an underlying reason for it. If you don't know what to do next and you don't want to research yourself, I recommend that you partner with a wellness coach or a functional medicine veterinarian to explore your treatment options. Most importantly, continue seeking out a variety of treatment options until your dog doesn't smell anymore. It's an important factor in determining your pet's health and quality of life and resolving any underlying issues of chronic odor is a really important thing. If you're looking for more information on a specific topic that I've covered in this video, please check out my video library where I've covered each one of these topics in much greater detail. Number two in the countdown, I discuss choosing seasonal support for pets when allergies occur. When a human has an allergy symptom or an allergy attack, there's usually a lot of sneezing, watery eyes, respiratory symptoms, and maybe itchy ears. But when a dog or cat has a seasonal allergy issue, it's usually expressed in the form of itchy, irritated, inflamed skin. Allergic pets tend to feel extremely itchy. They start scratching and biting or chewing at their skin. They tend to be really uncomfortable, but there can also be hair loss, rashes, hives, hot spots and open sores all over his or her body. Dogs in particular tend to have intensely itchy inflamed ears and paws. When an allergic dog or cat inhales, ingests, or comes into physical contact with normal benign substances in the environment such as grass, weeds, or tree pollens for, in for instance, his overly sensitive immune system can begin to misinterpret them as harmful and that's really the definition of an allergy. It's an immune system overreaction. Over time, these repeated exposures to some of these triggers of substances can cause your pet's immune system to launch an attack on what is viewed as a foreign invader, which is this exaggerated immune system reaction. During this attack, antibodies are produced that trigger the release of certain chemicals in the bloodstream, one of them being histamine. Histamine is largely responsible for the itchiness, irritation, and redness, as well as all the swelling that happens as a part of your pet's allergic response. Since pets can have allergies to food, as well as seasonal environmental allergies, as well as chemicals, the, their pets absolutely can have multiple chemical hypersensitivities to foods or chemicals around your home, it's really important to, to try and discern or determine what type of sensitivity your dog or cat is having. Chances are, if your pet's symptoms come and go with the seasons, then, and they're not year-round, so if your dog or cat is itchy May through August, chances are you're probably dealing with a seasonal allergy. Year-round symptoms that doesn't matter if it's winter, spring, summer, or fall, are most likely a result from something that your pet is eating or something that your pet is exposed to in his or her environment or a chemical sensitivity. If you suspect food allergies or a chemical sensitivity, you can find out how to get your pets tested and clean up your pet's immediate environment as well as lifestyle on my Healthy Pets website. Lots of articles that cover those two topics. The vast majority of year-round allergic symptoms are from food issues, so it's a really good idea to rule out food sensitivities before moving forward. Unfortunately, many dogs and cats suffer with both types of allergies. So if your pet has food intolerances that don't improve after three months on a novel protein dietary elimination diet, I would highly recommend treating her for seasonal allergies and see if you don't get improvement with that. It's really important to try and figure out what's triggering your pet's allergic reaction so that you know which path of treatment is gonna be um, best for your pet. 
many veterinarians treat only the symptoms of pets' allergies as they appear each year. So a lot of animals end up going to the veterinarian every spring for the exact same treatment protocol. And year after year, that protocol doesn't change. The problem with this approach, it's a very conventional approach, and it's a reactive approach, which means you're waiting for your pet to exhibit symptoms of the allergy, and then you take them in. The biggest issue I have with this approach is that we're not identifying and dealing with the root cause of why your pet's having an allergic reaction, which means the animal's symptoms tend to get worse with each passing year. Symptoms that used to crop up only for a few months in the, in the, during the warmer seasons, let's say May to September, are now oftentimes being expressed year-round, creating continuous misery for your dog or cat. The three critical steps to really relieving your pet's itchy misery are number one, minimizing in the allergens in your pet's immediate living environment. Number two, promoting a normal histamine production uh, in the presence of allergens, which means telling the immune system to just quiet down. And number three, helping the immune system to normalize its uh, overreaction to common allergens. Unfortunately, most traditional veterinarians fail to address all of these three causes of your pet's discomfort and instead they really focus on just one or two and usually by suppressing symptoms with drugs. Fortunately, there are many ways you can help minimize your pet's allergic triggers and relieve his symptoms. It's very important to keep in mind that allergens stick to your pet's paws and coat. So pets are furry and they're naked. They also sweat from their pads. So to deal with those first and very um, irritated symptoms, it, Frequent irrigation therapy, which is basically rinsing your itchy pets off, can provide tremendous, easy, quick, simple, cheap relief. So by you just rinsing your, the allergens that collect on your pet's body, you can provide free, simple treatment that actually dramatically reduces the amount of contact irritation. Foot soaks are another quick and easy way to reduce the amount of allergens in your, that your pet's tracking into the home that later oftentimes pet will lay down and because their feet are so itchy, they groom themselves or kitties lick themselves from head to toe and then ingest those allergens for more of a systemic allergic response. So paw, paw soaks and frequent grooming is something that I'm a big fan of if you have an itchy or allergic pet. I also recommend removing your shoes when you come in the house during those active seasonal months where you could be tracking in a tremendous amount of allergens to help reduce the amount of allergens in your pet's immediate environment. Vacuuming, mopping, and keeping um, as much as you can see picked up off the floor is very important. Remember, you can't see allergens. They are invisible. They're tiny. But regularly disinfecting your home is going to help over, just reduce the overall number of allergens your pet's exposed to. I also recommend removing allergens and other indoor air pollutants with a home or room air purifier. I also recommend that you avoid unnecessary vaccines and drugs for these animals since we know your pet's immune system is already overreactive. You can help reduce the amount of allergens your pet's exposed to in your home by also adding an air purifier, whether that's an air purifier in the room that your pet spends the most time in or adding a whole house air purifier. That's a great way to help reduce the overall burden of allergens in your home. I strongly recommend that you avoid unnecessary vaccines for pets with allergies. We know that a pet's immune system is already overreactive, so stimulating your pet's immune system unnecessarily with additional vaccines is not a wise idea. I also recommend, of course, that you think about the amount of carbohydrates and grains coming to your pet's diet because carbs worsen the inflammatory response and also can create some gut inflammation. I recommend you feed a balanced, species-appropriate, anti-inflammatory diet. And again, there's a lot more about that on the website. 
I also recommend that you consider giving your pet a high quality probiotic supplement to help maintain a healthy microbiome and help maintain the balance of gut bacteria. Supplementing your dog or cat's diet with krill oil, which is a great non-toxic chemical-free source of omega-3 fatty acids, as well as coconut oil, which provides lauric acid, which is a beautiful gift to your pet's immune system. Both of those oils can help promote a normal inflammatory response within your dog or cat's body. Because you can't put your dog or cat in a bubble, which would be ideal. If you can protect them from all of the allergens in their environment, that's great, but that doesn't work that way. So because we can't isolate our pets and prevent them from contacting environmental allergens, you're really left making good decisions to try and do what you can to help your pet immune system become um, immunomodulated to their environment. The goal is to support a functional immune response and help minimize allergic triggers. That's one of the reasons that I don't agree with this traditional veterinary approach of treating seasonal allergies with drugs alone, and specifically with steroids. Steroids, like prednisone, turn your pet's immune system off, and rather than uh, modulate or help to balance your pet's immune system, by turning your immune system completely off, it, it opens up a, a whole other set of terrible issues like recurrent chronic skin infections. Once an animal is placed on steroids for seasonal allergies as the only treatment plan, he often needs to be on them intermittently for the rest of his life and oftentimes at much higher doses over the course of his lifetime to be effective at managing symptoms. Obviously, uh, allergies are really not a steroid deficiency, so I really recommend a better, safer, more healthful long-term plan. In addition to taking the steps I just talked about to help reduce your pet's allergen load and relieve her symptoms, certain nutrients can actually be very beneficial as well. During my nearly 20 years of practice so far, I've used a seasonal allergy protocol uh, of specific herbs and vitamins that have produced really great results for my patients. And now I'm really excited to be able to share with you that I've combined them all together into a one-of-a-kind supplement that I'm calling seasonal support. I develop seasonal support to support your pet's immune system, allowing it to rebalance itself when confronted with environmental allergens. The product is also designed to support a normal inflammatory response to potential allergens by helping to maintain a normal histamine balance within your pet's body. As a result, seasonal support can bring greater comfort to your pet during allergy season by addressing the root cause of itchiness, inflammation, redness, and irritation. Instead of just covering up the symptoms of seasonal allergies, the following eight nutrients in seasonal support work gently in your pet's body to help the immune system rebalance itself. Quercetin helps quell redness, irritation, and inflammation by promoting normal histamine levels. It also helps promote a normal inflammatory response through its potent antioxidant activity. Bromelain increases the absorption of quercetin, making it more effective. Together, they promote a normal inflammatory response by supporting normal prostaglandin release, which is another pathway by which inflammation can occur. Vitamin C is a very potent antioxidant that supports the body under stress and has natural antihistamine effects in and of itself. I especially like to combine quercetin, bromelain, and vitamin C because of their synergistic effects in providing optimal support for a normal inflammatory response. Bee pollen may help desensitize your pet to allergens and also helps to eliminate long-standing symptoms very, very quickly. I've included plant sterols, which are the anti-inflammatory all-natural component extracted from plants in this formula because plant sterols have been proven to support a normal inflammatory response and have immune modulating effect or immune balancing effects within a pet's body. 
Butterbur extract has the ability to promote a healthy immune response within a pet's body, and stinging nettle works similarly to Butterbur in promoting a healthy normal response to allergens by helping to maintain normal levels of histamine and other pro-inflammatory chemicals within your pet's body. Nettle leaf can also help with skin irritation. And cat's claw is one of South America's most prescribed herbs for promoting a normal immune system response to an allergic condition. I really love cat's claw because it modulates the immune system, which means it helps rebalance the immune system without suppressing it. Seasonal Support is a pet-friendly beef-flavored powder that you simply give to your pet once or twice a day. When used during allergy season, ideally, I recommend, if at all possible, to start your pet on it two to four weeks before the major allergy season begins. And by getting a jump start on, on inflammation, you can actually minimize your pet's exaggerated immune response and give your pet lasting relief and comfort. So if your four-legged family member is suffering from skin irritation or itchiness, or if she has human-like allergy symptoms, such as a runny nose, coughing, sneezing, I hope that you'll give my seasonal support product a try. Finally, as the number one podcast of 2019, I help you improve your pet's GI function by learning what to look for in a pet probiotic supplement. Did you know that bowel problems are one of the top reasons pet parents wind up at the veterinary clinic? As veterinarians, we see cats and dogs with less than optimal bowel health on an almost everyday basis. And there's lots of reasons for why pets have so many GI issues. It's important to identify and resolve any root cause in every single one of these cases, but something everyone can do to help improve his or her pet's GI health is to offer a probiotic supplement. In recent years, studies have shown that a high-quality pet probiotic can actually improve GI function. It can defend against emotional and physiological stressors. It can actually help support the health of animals in a super-stressed environment, that animals coming out of the shelter situation, or animals that have to go to boarding regularly. Probiotics help with pets that have chronic illnesses and puppies and kittens on the lower end of the growth or developmental scale. So probiotics are something that can benefit every pet. The word probiotic actually originates from the Greek term for life. And so when dogs and cats ingest these positive beneficial good bacteria, these living microorganisms actually replenish the friendly bacteria in your pet's GI tract, which in turn promotes a number of health enhancing functions. The bulk of your pet's immune system is actually located in his or her GI tract. And everyday stressors, both the emotional kind and physiological issues, can affect gut microbes. And actually the, the whole research into gut microbiome or microbiome therapy is a flourishing area of research in, pet, in the pet community and for good reason. Pets who eat stuff that they shouldn't or sudden changes in a pet's diet or being boarded or kenneled or even being left alone all day uh, in a crate situation or even the slightest change in a dietary routine or in a pet's daily routine can actually throw off the ratio of good to bad bacteria in the gut. And by having the gut bacteria out of whack, ultimately you can affect your pet's immune health. When you provide your pet with a high quality probiotic supplement, you are literally flooding his or her GI tract with beneficial good bacteria, which actually optimizes immune health. This not only enhances the function of his or her digestive system, but also improves absorption and nutrients from the diet. So you can actually improve overall gut health, not to mention boosting overall immunity. Probiotic therapy is a safe and very effective way to promote total gastrointestinal health in your pet. 
a high quality probiotic supplement can actually optimize the GI environmental health, which can actually make the good bacteria in your pet's GI tract uh, perform much better. And it actually kind of suppresses the bad guys. So it increases the level of good bacteria while kind of suppressing any opportunistic pathogens that could be present. Supplemental probiotics also encourage the production of B vitamins in pets, especially folic acid and biotin, as well as vitamin K. Probiotics actually help support mineral absorption from your pet's GI tract, as well as protein and carbohydrate digestion via probiotic enzymes. Probiotics can absolutely enhance metabolism, as well as the removal of toxins from your pet's GI tract, as well as supporting appropriate bowel transition time. Probiotics have been well established to improve immune system function and produce lactic acid for the support of digestive processes and colon pH balance. And believe it or not, probiotics have even been demonstrated to improve the oral health of your pets. There are many different strains of beneficial bacteria that pets can consume, and each works to create a healthy balance within the GI tract. Individual strains of bacteria are helpful for maintaining overall health as well as uniquely responding to the daily stressors of your pet that he or she could encounter on a regular basis just by living life. Research shows that 10 or more bacterial strains are optimal for producing great GI health. So while pet probiotics that contain just one or two strains may be fine, which are usually the types that you're getting from your veterinarian, in my opinion, products with 10 or more beneficial strains are actually much more preferable. The more beneficial strains in the probiotic, the better able they are to respond to the wide variety of stressors that can affect your pet's GI system. The potency of a probiotic product is also very important. Knowing how many beneficial bacteria per serving it has will tell you how effective it can be. Many pet probiotics on the market contain between one and three million beneficial bacteria per serving, and this is okay, but actually I think you can do much better. So a probiotic formula with 30 or 40 million or more beneficial bacteria per serving is actually ideal. The third thing to look for in a pet probiotic is viability, potency, and purity. Unfortunately, research shows that many probiotics just don't live up to their label claims. This is why I recommend that you buy a product that has been manufactured in a GMP certified facility and a product that has undergone independent testing to ensure that the beneficial bacteria are in the product at the level stated on the bottle. Testing should also be completed to ensure that the probiotics make it to the small intestine, which is where they need to be for optimal absorption, and that they're not destroyed in the stomach by the animal's really strong stomach acid. A GMP, or good manufacturing practice, are regulations that require manufacturers to take proactive steps to ensure that their products are safe, potent, and pure. Since GMP certification information isn't always included on labels, you may need to do your homework and actually call the manufacturer to ask if they are GMP certified. So to recap, when shopping for a high quality pet probiotic, you'll want to know how many strains of bacteria it contains, preferably 10 or more. You'll want to know the potency per serving, preferably at least 40 million beneficial bacteria per serving, and you'll also want to know whether the product is manufactured at a GMP certified facility. I really hope that you enjoyed listening to one or more of my top five podcasts in 2019. And most importantly, I hope that you've learned something today that can improve the health of your pets. Stay tuned for new information and interviews with more experts on how you can further enhance your pet's well-being in 2020.